bunches of stuff, okay? Um, if you want to go to Italy, there's a flyer back there. I talked to you about this. You know, I, we, I talked to the other guys. I worked with three uh, or four other eight travel agencies over the past six months trying to put together just the tour I wanted. But then it was always started with a six. And if it starts with a six, none of you are going to go. I was nervous about certainly not a five, and even a four makes me a little nervous. But um, if you want to go to Italy next May, grab a thing and let me know, and then I, you know we can chatter about that. So um, I've already picked out the apartment on the island in Venice where we're going to live in retirement. I'm trying to bring Kirby up to speed. Uh, but she, I mean, she's, it's right above the, the fish market. It should be fantastic, okay? If she could learn to cook squid in black ink, our marriage will be saved. So I can show you where that'll be if you want to go uh, see it. My grandchildren live in Venice. We can live there. Okay, good, yes. Uh, well, I would start introducing your children to Catholic Italian boys then. That's what I would do if I was you. If you put some money in the basket, it'll go to buy Bibles for people who speak Spanish. Uh, some will go to Spain, uh, and some will go to Fred Gady in West Chicago. So it's kind of nice to send Fred some money once in a while, make his life a little bit easier. Um, you know, they're doing, you know, Fred's a fine, fine human being, and he's got a lot of good things going on. So if we can support him, that'd be great. And Arthur Just will take care of the balance. We'll send it to him. And someday when you go, want to go to Spain on a work It'll all be set up, okay? All right. Uh, questions about anything? Thanks for coming back. I'll try to get you out by 1040. So in the next couple of minutes, or well, the next 40 minutes, um, we're going to talk about everything we've ever talked about the last 17 years. Okay? So it's all going to come together in this moment. I hope you're not disappointed. Okay. So here's the thing. You know, this, um, this, this, this title, you know, it's a very meager goal, changing the world. Right? So here you go. Telling stories, a clever, easy, loving, welcomely, riskless shot at changing the world. So this is meant to be somewhat riskless to you, although you'll be nervous by the time we get done, but it's all going to be okay. All right? So just the basic description. Every day gives us countless opportunities for a good witness to Christ. John, I didn't move. I promise I didn't move. There. Is it okay? Every day gives us countless opportunities for a good witness to Christ, but these possibilities make us nervous. And I just, you know what, I'll talk to you about this, but I know that you all know people who you think should be in the church, starting with people in your own family, your parents, your kids, your spouse, the people you work with, the guy down the street, and there's a range of reasons why that makes us nervous, to be a good witness to Christ. And a lot of the reasons are self-inflicted reasons, unfortunately, because we don't even thought properly about the world. And, be, and because the world's changed, and so I gave you, one of the things I gave you was something you recognized from the last year to this map of how I understand the world. Part of the reason we're nervous is because, you know, we just haven't been paying attention. And we've tried things that aren't really very helpful, and we've absorbed things from, you know, other ideas from other folks that may not be very helpful. And then, you know, there's other reasons, like Christians sometimes haven't done a very good job and maybe haven't understood the difference between love and force, and um, sometimes Christians just aren't very smart, you know. Uh, so, but, but sometimes they are, which is what should give you great confidence. So anyway, just this notion that everybody's in, nobody's out, and you get to play along. That's, that's all we're sort of aiming at, okay? So, um, these possibilities can make a service. Why? Maybe what we expect of ourselves... 
and of each other is out of whack. See, we're doing two things there at once. He, we're both doing something. Could be big flare this week. It could be hitting me right now. I could be the epicenter. It's all coming together. <laughs> Boom. All right. So um, here's the thing. Maybe we need to just think differently and maybe act differently as a chance to tell a story. So really, all I'm going to say to you, I mean, for the next few weeks at least until we do this, is just um, it would be fun for you to tell some stories. Now, of course, to do that, you need to, um, tell the, you need to know the stories, and you also have to be able to kind of be a good listener. The first rule of telling a good story is to be a good listener, right? It was, uh, that's, the, that's the first thing. So um, let's see maybe that would work with you. So number one, we're at a really good place. I mean, come on, it can really be a happier morning than what we just had. You got all these kids who are maybe the old, how old was the oldest kid playing today? Sixth grade, fifth grade? Seventh grade. So the oldest kid playing today is seventh grade. There's a lot of people who weren't seventh. I mean, that was really quite remarkable. Those kids playing upstairs. It's really quite amazing stuff. And you should tell them when you see them. I never can get there fast enough to tell them, but Peter tell them and Philip tell them. I mean, that's really quite fantastic. If you see them, you should say, did you play this morning? How many did you have? Did you have eight, seven? I was trying to count the number of bows I saw going back and forth. So, it was, I mean, that's just really nice. We're in just a really good place. But you should always remember, you know, and I've said this a gazillion times to you. So the things you hear today, I'm going to clip through, but you've heard them before. But you have to have all of these things kind of in your quiver if we're going to go forward. The first is we don't run by our own steam. So as good as it is, it's not your fault and it's not my fault, right? When bad things happen, we take the credit. When good things happen, we give all the credit to Christ. So now the great thing is, is Christ is alive and well here, and so are you because of that. So, you know, the real basic stuff, and I'm just reminded, but, you know, you should just look at this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, you know, by grace, through faith. John, I feel like I'm way up on the game. Is John still sitting there, or did he go? I feel like I'm really reverbing a lot. Am I to you, or no? Yeah, I feel like I'm, like, right on top of you. So, all right, forget about Fred Gady. This is for the speaker system, the money you put in <laughs> You need to be pragmatic in the church, okay? Sometimes you gotta things around a little bit. Speaking of which, um, I'm I'm in with a, I have two icons in mind. This is just by way of if you come to Bible study, you get to hear extra things. One of uh, the Virgin Mother and Child, and one of Saint John, because we're Saint John, sort of about to be commissioned for the back chapel. So if you want to talk to me about that, um, my big question right now is how big, whether they should be small enough to just hold the chapel for morning, or they should be big enough that they should hold, at least talk to the altar and the other. Normally when you have a, a crucifix, almost always, you have at the base, Mary and St. John. We're very fortunate because you know we're St. John, so it's just the obvious thing to put Mary and St. John. Uh, and the way they would flow against the wall would be they'd be both at the base of the current icon, but then they'd hold the space in the back. So if that interests you at all, I'm very willing to talk to you. I don't want to surprise you with that, but I also, um, an iconographer writes an icon, so it's not a work done by committee. And I think there are people around who are willing to um, put up a little money for that. If you're interested in that too, you could let me know. You know, if you say if you got, you know, $10,000 lying around and you don't know what to do, you're not betting on the NFL anymore because of all the problems they're having. Hey, I'm your guy. Okay, so let me know. Here we go. So, if you, by grace, through faith, not your own, it's a gift, not works, 
And then the last part, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the great Lutheran, you know, stumbling block is the justification is the first thing, not the last thing in your life. Read the text, the text, the text, the text. You're given the gift so that you can live in good works. How Lutherans ever got justification and sanctification separated as east from west is just remarkably crazy talk. I mean, here it is right here. So now the thing is, is we've got this gorgeous life together. It's been given to us as a gift. But of course, it's not just for us. It's for all sorts of people. However, all sorts of people make us all sorts of nervous, right? Because they got stuff going on. And the easiest way for you to lose control is to have a lot of people come in the door. Because you are going to invite icky people in, and then when things get icky, you're going to say, you know, well, how did things get so icky? Oh, yeah, because icky people came in. So let me remind you, you too were icky once, and occasionally even now are icky, all right? So, you know, just, you're just going to have to go with it. Tend the passive verbs. Notice how it's done to you. You were saved means somebody saved you. You were baptized means somebody baptized you. You were given the Eucharist means somebody gave you the Eucharist. You were dead and now you're alive means somebody resurrected you. All the great verbs of salvation in the entire scripture are passive, which mean, means which means God does it to you. He does it to you as gospel. He does it to you as gift, okay? And we are on the receiving end of all this stuff. So, I mean, Jesus gives you this stuff. Now, here's the thing. The great stuff that you've been given has implications, and not just for yourself. So changing the world would mean certainly, in some sense, changing you and changing me, but it means changing the people you know, but it also means changing me. So it's this never-ending progress in sanctification. That's what the text says. The text, the text. You were created for sanctification. In the church, in the promised land, it's extraordinarily important. Good means forgiven. Of course, there's overlap with the world. The world recognizes inherently good things in some way. But in the church, to be good is to be forgiven, right? Which is why the gospel is so important. The touch of the gospel makes you good. Jesus' touch makes you holy. The forgiveness of sins makes you one with Christ. The Eucharist joins your flesh to his flesh. But that's all stuff that Jesus does to you. So I give you the last verse on the first page, Romans 6, 20 and 21. Free from sin, that's to be forgiven, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. Hey, we're going home, right? So, hey, we're going home. This is really, really good. Now, here's the thing. This is really important. And I've said this to you before, but it's important for you to understand. You know, how long it can be this good depends on you and depends on me. I mean, we've been given every gift, and there's certainly no lack of knowledge. We know what we're supposed to do. We know where we're supposed to go. We've been given every gift. So we have this glorious thing. I mean, I couldn't be happier this morning. I mean, people have come back from summer. The kids are playing upstairs. The sermon was, and I can tell you, Pastor Nelson's not here. He struggled with that sermon all week. I mean, he talked to Pastor Bukes, he talked to me. We talked it over and over and over again about how to talk about that and just say one thing. Did you see the Wall Street Journal on Friday? Finally vindicated. Did anybody see it? The best sermon is an eight-minute sermon. <laughs> it's in the Wall Street Journal. We're suing them, by the way, because they've stolen our gig. Look on Friday's thing. The guy's like, the best sermon is, and I just wanted to say, and say one thing. 
right? So, I mean, basically, however you want to put it, Pastor Nelson said one thing, which is forgiveness is not a point, it's a line, right? It's not a one-off, it's a continuum. So, here's, here's the great news. You can have this as long as you want it. Sure, you get bumped and bruised. Sure, you know, you get scraped around. Sure, you suffer. But man, to suffer within this community, to suffer next to Christ who's suffering in the Eucharist, to suffer with people who love you, it's a completely different world than just being on your own, all alone, unloved. Boom. Okay? Now you can have it as long as you can do Hebrews 12.12, which is the Lenten um, gradual. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. So the starter and the finisher. Never run on your own steam. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Right? So, I mean, that's the Christian life. If you always remember that Jesus is the starter and the finisher and everything in between, it's the sermon this morning, Jesus on the continuum. He is the author and the perfecter, and we just read from Romans, and the end of sanctification is eternal life, Right? So now if you're looking at the map of the world, you know it goes this way. Make disciples from Eden, end up in Eden. It goes Eden to Eden. That's how the story starts. I'm clipping along. Here's the thing. This is not new for any of you. I just want it all extant before we go on because I don't want you thinking later, like, where did this come from? It comes exactly from this. We've been so, so blessed, and it's such, such a good thing. You know, so long as you say your prayers, so long as you tithe and give alms, so long as you indulge people who are suffering, so long, so long, so long as you do all of that in the image of Christ, this will all be yours. The real run is to figure out how long you can do it. Because every church eventually blows up. Why is that? Because like the children of Israel, every church at some point starts looking at themselves instead of looking at the baby Jesus. And you can hear it if you walk into a church or walk into a meeting. You can hear it when it turns. Don't do that, at least not before I retire. So here's the thing. I mean, here, I mean, don't do that. You can have it as long as you have Jesus. This can, I mean, this is just like talking about telling the stories in the scriptures. This, these are all the stories about Jesus gives you all the gifts, and people either use the talents, and they return five or tenfold, or they buried him because you're a hard guy, and we were just trying to hold on. Speaking of which, I'm just very interested. I will give you some homework, which is one of the things I'm, so, I'm just so interested in right now, is how there's panic in Christianity in America. And the reason there's panic is because people can feel it slipping away. Like, I read something this week. There's some very small number, like, you know, I'll get, I'm going to get this wrong. 200,000 Methodists left in England, 80,000 left in England. Really interesting. I mean, where Methodists started, and there's virtually none left, right? And this is happening all around mainline Christianity. You've heard all about this. People are in a panic because, and here's the panic. This is what they always say, because my denomination is going to die. And I always think to myself, and... Because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus on the cross did not say, you know, he didn't say anything about a denomination. He said nothing about the Missouri Synod or about the Methodists. I mean, he said something about you. But if your focus is, and, and so much of what I see happens in the Missouri Synod is about saving the institution. There were these golden years far ago before the troubles. Nonsense. 
There never were golden years ever anywhere. What there is is a church that is Christ's body, and it forms itself in different ways for different reasons. But you're dead as soon as you, you know, like, you know what it's like? It's knowing you're teaching your, teaching your kids to drive, and you're like, you're going too close to the light pole. Don't look at the light pole. You look at the light pole. Don't look at the light pole. What happens? They look at the light pole, and they crash into it, right? I mean, I have this thing at the back of my head, which nobody agrees with. I actually believe that people hit what they aim at in life. The reason you hit it is because you're aiming at it, oftentimes. So the problem is when people talk about the church, if you listen about the church, people don't say enough, we want to bring people to the Eucharist and join their flesh to Jesus and put that at the center of their life. What they often say is, we want to save our building, congregation, school, denomination, blah, 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 which Jesus knows very little about. That's strategy. Principle is what's important. Christ for you, not against you. The rest is just strategy. How you do that? Acts 2 is principle. Christ, Scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, mercy, witness, generosity, that's principle. Strategy is just how it gets arranged. You're on the corner of your 410 Cross Street, right? So you'll fail. It's, It's interesting. If you're an institution and you focus on the institution, you'll fail. Isn't that interesting? But if you're the body of Christ and you focus on the body of Christ, you will succeed. Because Christ will always be author and perfecter of faith. So, someday, if it ever goes bad, I pray that it never goes bad. But if it ever goes bad, you already know the reason why. You know, this is not unlike the story in the scriptures where Jesus says, touch that and don't touch that. I'll see you later. If I see any of you walking around naked with fig leaves, I'm going to know exactly what happened, Okay. I thought that would be funnier. <laughs> ah, yes. So, Romans 8.32. If the Father gives us his Son, he is going to give you everything else. Boom, it's all yours. So everything comes as a gift, and then in the body of Christ, and this is very important, every challenge, here it is, every challenge is an opportunity to exercise virtue. We spent a whole year talking about virtue, Right? about deadly sins and great virtues. So this is how you see your life in the church, which is, Christ is at the center. There are going to be struggles. When you struggle, Christ is at the center. And every, every struggle is an opportunity to act virtuously, which is just a way to say to do good, to be loving. I mean, there are also opportunities to be horrible and to be hating and gossiping and blah, 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 okay? But... That, the end of that is not where you want to be. What, where you want to be is, if you want to be where you are today and better than you are, if you, if you want this to be the threshold of something better, if you want this day as good as it was to be the threshold, someday you look back at this and you say, wow, it's so much better now than then, then Christ at the center, wrapped up in his flesh, forgiven by his touch, and when suffering comes, it is the chance to exercise virtue, not to be angry, not to be mean, not to be fearful. You see, this is nothing new. We've just done this for years. But what I'm going to say to you is we're bundled on up everything, everything we've ever done in 17 years to go forward to the one thing that's really not difficult but greatly feared, which is to say something about Jesus to, to, to somebody else. And I'm going to just say to you, I mean, the deal is, is it's not, we fear it for all the wrong reasons. We fear it because we've misfired so often. 
and we feared it because we've lacked confidence in the Holy Spirit. To, we've lacked, lacked confidence in Jesus' Spirit to do what he promises to do. So here's the thing. I want to try to relieve all the burden. This is not unlike when we did prayer. You know, people, part of the problem people, you know, get to hate in their prayers is because they feel such a burden about it. Well, that's, I mean, what's, why should there be a burden about being very near to somebody, somebody you love? In the same way, you know, why should it be a burden to tell a nice story about Jesus and then the key, so I'm already going to go to the very last lecture, whatever that is, is and move on, confident that Jesus will do his work. Because after all, it's a gift and a blessing, remember? And other people are going to come to church for the same reason you did, because somebody gave you something. So you're not responsible for it. You just work here, right? You're not the author and perfecter. You just work here. You just deliver the goods when you get the chance. Okay? So, two things are really important in this. Um, memory and imagination. If you lose your memory, you lose your bearings. This is the reason we have the liturgy. This is the reason we study history. This is the reason, I don't know if you've realized this pattern, but in the margin comments every week, there, when it works, okay, when it works, at least the initial template is that you have something from the ancient fathers and mothers, medieval times, Reformation times, modern times, and postmodern times. That's sort of what I'm looking for when I pick the margin comments. The reason I'm doing that is to, 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 to help your memory and to console you and encourage you to show you what you have here on Sunday is um, exactly what people have been getting in the church for 2,000 and 4,000 years, depending on how you want to count. Right? I know that everything everybody said in the past is not always right. But, I mean, you can't quote Lutherans earlier than about, you know, 1483. So, you know, it's gonna, you can't leave a big chunk of the world out. Those people are your people, and we should listen to them. And there are very basic things like, you know, Oscar Romero. You probably, there's not one of you who would maybe want to, you know, say Oscar was my guy, although you'd probably want to have dinner with him, very interesting. And frankly, anybody who gets shot with an assault rifle while they celebrate the Eucharist at the elevation and dies at the altar... He's like in my top five guys to have lunch with when I get to heaven, okay? Because that's something. Well, I mean, I mean, you might not like his particular kind of theology. However, the notion that eyes that have cried see things differently than eyes that haven't cried. That's a genius little thing, right? There's a genius little quote today, you know. The eyes that have cried have seen things in a way that is different from eyes that haven't cried. If you've suffered, you see the world differently. My memory is so critical, okay? So memory looks at the gifts we've been given. Um, and if you don't hold memory, if you don't hold memory, pretty soon you become idolatrous, especially toward yourself. Right? You become, you're thinking you did it all yourself. This is the story of scripture. I mean, Israel does this, you know, every 40 years in the book of Judges. They, they, that's, you know, they suffer, and then, oh, we're sorry about that, and then they suffer, and then there's always the tagline, and these guys are worse than the last guys, yeah. right? They just get worse and worse, you know. If you don't have memory, um, you become idolatrous. On the other hand, all the great words about memory, rehearsing, right? Recapitulation, which means you bring something from the past forward and experience it a new way. Retelling, remembrance. All those things that are critical to the liturgy on Sunday. You know, why do we sing, you know, why do we sing... Um, 
you know, uh, the Sanctus, blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why do we sing the Palm Sunday song right before the Eucharist? Because it's like Jesus is coming down the aisle and now he, instead of coming to Jerusalem's temple, he's coming to our temple and putting himself on the altar. Why do we sing the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world? Because now the Lamb of God is on the altar and you should be thinking to yourself, the same Lamb of God that John the Baptizer pointed to, behold him, I must, behold the Lamb of God, I must decrease, he must increase. That's happening to you too. So we retell those stories over and over again. Every Sunday we retell those stories so that they're just in you. Somebody said to me this morning, um, hey, for this set of hymns, I don't need the hymn book. I'm like, that's exactly right. Hey, for this set of hymns, you don't need the hymn book. That's good. You do need some hymns like that that you don't need the hymn book. In fact, I think I told you I was at Holy Name Cathedral once and I was just kind of paging around. I can't remember why we were there for something, but the very first page of the hymnal in the one that I picked up, the introduction said, um, the purpose of this hymnal is so that you don't have to use a hymnal, which is basically memorize this and you'll be good to go, right? So you heard probably in the news report, Foley, the first guy who lost his head, they spoke about his prayer life as a Catholic and how he remembered bits of the liturgy and, and kept hours and prayers. boy, right? So, Memory is, I give you the text, John 15, 4, abiding, staying put in what you've been given. Abide in me and I in you that, you know, my joy may be complete and your joy may be full, right? So Jesus puts you in a particular place. You can talk about it however you want. He resurrects you. He attaches you. He gives you gifts. He loves you. He takes good care of you. He puts you in a place and you remember that. If you forget that, you're dead. Without memory, you're dead, dead. Was there a hand over here? Because I'm still okay. The other side of memory is imagination. And this is extraordinarily important for you, which is to be able to see where we want to go and how that might happen. And even beyond that, the ability to see how the dominoes will fall. If we do this and this and this and this, we think that this will happen. Those are rare skills. You see them in really, really good businessmen, businesswomen who can look ahead. New ETF yesterday, I saw somewhere in the journal or bears or something, only companies with women CEOs. That's going to be interesting. So, but I digress. So, the ability to see, the ability to see ahead, right? To say that if we do A and B and C and D, it's very likely that E will happen. And the ability to embrace that and to carry on with that. Imagination is terribly important. But it's based on the notion that God will do to us what he's done to Israel, to the church in the past, which is he blesses faithfulness. Again, a place where Lutherans get far, far too nervous, with good reason, but the Reformation was 500 years ago. The whole notion that God is pleased with good works and even rewards good works is actually in the scriptures. Yes, it's true. He doesn't reward good works with salvation. He rewards good works with the joy of life together in Christ. He is not pleased in advance of your salvation by your good works. But once you've been baptized, loved, cared for, sanctified, brought into the church forgiven, it actually matters to Jesus whether you're kind or whether you're not. And he actually rewards it if you are kind. I just read the scriptures. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So, you know, try not to let your knee jerk just because you're a Lutheran towards things that really take you down a path that you don't want to go to. 
It's kind of, it's grim death, you know, going to those, you know, you've heard this a zillion times before. I mean, just wind me up and I can keep going about this. However, okay, um, you know, so this is all the bottom and it's all these little things over the years. You know, one of the hardest things for me is, you know, I, I mean, I've grown, you know, through some things, I've lost some things I wish I didn't lose and I've maybe found some things and, you know, who knows how it's worked, but you know, it befuddled me so much when I was younger. You know, I couldn't understand how people acted, how they well, act, because it's the church. Like, how could you not be at church every week, and how could you not tithe, and how could you not give all, and how could you not say it? Because it's the church. I mean, it's the church. You know, don't do this to me. The worst thing you can do to me. I mean, you know the famous, some of you are new, but you know it's the, Val, the famous Valgady toaster story, right? Yeah, you know this. Let me just remind you of the Easter when we're on the radio, and we emptied the place, and the fire department came. Do you remember this? New members don't remember this. Do you know why that happened? Because somebody called the church and said, I have a really crappy toaster. It doesn't work anymore. It's shorts that make smoke. Would the church like it? <laughs> so it was brought to the church, Holy Week, and plugged in. And Val Gady, God bless her, right? What does she do? She's working long hours, so she puts a slice of bread in it. And then what happens? It catches on fire, and the fire department comes. So we're in the pulpit on, on Easter, and I'm like, and the sirens are coming here. <laughs> now, what are you going to do with that? And why? It's the church. Why would you bring your worst thing to the church? The thing that is not fit for your own house anymore. Why would you do that? You're making me crazy. Or you're making the baby Jesus crazy. It actually doesn't matter about me. You bring your best to the church, right? Or it's a yes world. Or here, I'll give you another one. Think about the money last. In terms of imagination, this is, I face this with kids all the time. If you have kids going to college, think about the money last. It doesn't mean you shouldn't save some money. But just kids, occasionally kids will say to me, I'm not going to apply to Harvard. Or I'll just say Princeton. I'm not going to apply to Princeton because I can't afford it. I'm like, do you know that Princeton's financial aid packages go up to families up to $300,000 a year, and do you know that if your parents make under $100,000 a year, you can probably go to Princeton for free? Think about the money last, okay? It's a yes world. Think about great ideas. Think about how the church could be wonderful. Think about how it could be better tomorrow than it is today, and today is fantastic. Think about that. This is the ability to imagine, and it's critical to be able to see the possibilities. It's important. I mean, one of the first things, I, right after I say to every vicar, well, this is more for you musicians, which is you don't get out of trouble, stay out of trouble. But the second great thing to learn is about the church is you've got to feel the room. You've got to feel the room. If you can't feel the room, people who can feel the room make decisions differently than people who can't. And you see it in every vocation. People who can feel the room. People who can, you know, you walk out of the dressing room and say, you look great in that. Or somebody says, this is exactly the thing you need. People who can feel the room. You know, the, the ability to imagine, the ability to feel the room, and then to t have a go at where it might go, that's what matters. You need both of those things in order to flourish. I just flipped the page. You should always remember that in the course of what we're going to do, and this is very important when you talk about being a witness to other people, that success is the definition of best... best, best. Did you ever notice over the course of our years here, I kind of get wound up? I just kind of get going some days. You should know that in the church, success is defined as best effort. It's like, it's like winning a batting title when you play baseball. You have to have a certain number of bats, and they have to be good cuts. 
but you know 30% of them, you'll probably be in the all-star team and you may be the MVP. So I just want to say this in consolation to you. You have a list right now. If you think to yourself, there's 10 people. You can think of 10 people without breaking a sweat. You can think of 10 people who should be in church. You'd like to be in church. You know their life would be better if they were in church. It's everybody from your kids to their boyfriends and girlfriends to your sister to your parents to your next-door neighbor. You can think of 10, kids, 10, 10 people without breaking a sweat who should be in the church. Here's, this is very, very important. In the witness that you give, the key is to do what Jesus has given you to do as you walk with Jesus along the way. It's not your job to save people. It's not your job to talk them into believing. You're not responsible for their soul. What you are responsible for is to be loving. That's what you're responsible for. Sometimes that's going to take the form of being generous. Sometimes it's going to take the form of just being with people. Sometimes it's going to take the form of telling them a story. And then you're done. So long as you continue to be loving and to be with them. Okay? It's not your job to convert people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Don't elbow them out of the way. Right? He's got a monopoly on that. That said, your task is to bring your best, but you should know that success is defined as, 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 as that best effort, okay? So you act faithfully, or you act rightly, or you act lovingly, justly, mercifully, all the things we've ever talked about. This is why, here's the thing, way back when I came, I can remember this conversation from the first year I was at St. John, when I talked about doing some things, and then the answer always was, well, there's no money for that, you can't do it. And finally I said, I can't even remember what venue it was in. I finally said, here's the thing. If you were opening a store, would you say, A, you'd put a sign out front and open the door and have empty shelves and say to people who came in, give me some money and trust me, it's going to get better. Or B, would you figure out a way to stock the store as lavishly as you possibly could, to make it wonderful, the smell, the sight, the sign, the blessing, the people, and then say to people, you belong here. I mean, this is obvious. In every other line of, of life, we do B, not A. But in the church, for whatever reason, we so often do A. It's the craziest thing. The world does not work that way, especially among people who don't know Jesus. The world just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It's crazy talk, right? People wonder why the church fails. The church fails because they're crazy, right? That's why. <laughs> can't wait for this to go on the web. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. If you just, if you just, just, just do your best, you know, have a little imagination, have a little memory, do the best you can, which is then now you remember the Pauline admonition not to compare yourself to other people. This is about you, and this is about me. This is about us, and this is about our space. So here we are all together, and it's fantastic. I mean, I could not be happier. I'm belonging to the church I always wanted to belong to, right? So, but here's the thing. Today is the first step. It's not the last step. This is the first step. This is the threshold towards something more. Yeah, if you want to backslide into something horrible, like every other church in America that's failing, it's, that is before you as well. Flee. Flee that. Inoculate yourself against that by memory and imagination. This is what the Lord has given us. 
We don't run by our own steam. How can it get better? Right? Now, the cool thing is that Jesus tells us that, and most of those things are in place. If you'll follow the analogy, the shelves are stocked. It's really quite wonderful. And, the, and the, the normal reaction of people when they walk through the doors and meet all of you is, it's really quite wonderful. That will go on until you stop being wonderful. right? And you'll stop being wonderful when you no longer understand that Jesus is both author and perfecter of faith, both justifier and sanctifier. See? So really, I mean, hear, hear this. It's in your hands. Not because you made it, not because you did it. It's in your hands because you're the guy in the story that got ten talents. Our problems are all first world problems. We don't have any problems. Yes, we could get better, we could do better, we could do more, we're all growing, we're suffering, on and on we go. But if it doesn't go, friends, it's on us. If it doesn't get better, it's on us. Here's the thing, I'm well aware, we've talked about this, you're going to draw demonic fire. If you're good as a church, you know, it's like there's a big target on the roof, right? But now, at this moment, we should enjoy, you know, and advance what we have. At some point, you know, the bombs will drop again, and then it will be extraordinarily important for us to what? Hold on, remember, imagine, go to the Eucharist. So you do the same things in the church in good days and bad days. This is why it's not difficult. It's exactly the same thing. You do exactly the same thing. You join your flesh to Christ. You say your prayers. You go to church on Sunday, right? You're generous to other people. You take the Eucharist. You're merciful. And when people see this, they do what happened in the early church, which is, whoa, we were supposed to come. You know this famous letter from the guy who was supposed to find a reason to execute the Christians, to have a holocaust, to kill them. And he writes back and he goes, I would love to do that, but they're just not like other people. Look at what they do. They bury the bodies that nobody else will buy. They take care of women and children who've been abandoned. They, if they have food, they give their food to the poor. Then the seminal line, these people are not like other people. Right? So, you do your best to hold on to this. I'm just going to finish up at point number one. We do our best to hold on to this, not as an institution, Right? Not as an institution, but as an embodiment of Christ Jesus. Our flesh wrapped up in his, his good incarnate in our flesh working through us, his spirit enlivening and energizing us, and then the place becomes heaven on earth. All right, so I got through one. I thought I'd get through seven. (laughs) Some things don't change. Uh, I would encourage you to read the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. So uh, we're going to do, I don't think we've ever done Zacchaeus in here. It's a great little story. We're going to read Zacchaeus. Now we're going to pray. I'm going to see you next week. Love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you next week.